Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. How much do you know about drones? They're an amazing technology which only burst into public life 20 or so years ago. Since then, they've been utilised for research, war, deliveries, mapping, natural disasters, photography and filming. Dr Anna Jackman from the University of Reading is a lecturer in human geography and she's someone who's very interested in the political geographies of technology, specifically drone geographies. David Holmes is also with us to add a commercial angle. David is an examiner, author and geography consultant and he will offer practical anecdotes of drone use as the owner of InView Assets, a UAV aerial survey company. This podcast is linked with the Everyday Drone Stories Project. You'll find lots of interesting information if you search Everyday Drone Stories Project under our Resources for Schools webpage. Thanks for joining us today, Anna and David. Anna, how are drones a part of the discipline of geography? That's a really interesting question. Thank you for the opportunity to, to join you to discuss this today. Um, so for those that, that might be unfamiliar, aerial drones refer to an aircraft without a pilot on board and they can be controlled remotely by a pilot or fly with various levels of autonomy. So this might be following a pre-planned flight path, for example. Drones come in a lot of different shapes and sizes, including fixed and rotary ring drones, and many of them carry cameras, but also can be equipped with things like sensors, such as um, thermal sensors. So drones are a form of remote sensing and enable geographers to gather high quality geospatial data across different spatial contexts and environments. Drones are part of geography in in lots of different ways. Their capture of a view from above or from the air enables us to see and better understand our environments. And importantly, it can also empower us to act in our environments too. So this might be gathering data to inform decision making, or it might be gathering evidence that something happened or is happening. So drones aren't passive technologies. They really inform and enable actions. Um, They inform and enable us as geographers. Alongside being tools to gather geospatial and geographical information more broadly, we can also think about the geographies of drones themselves. So as we'll hear today, uh, drones can be flown by a range of different users for different applications, and these have different impacts on people and wildlife around them. As geographers, then, we can look at how drones might impact local communities and wildlife and their understandings and experiences of space, place and environments too. And how did you come to studying drones? Did you start as a drone pilot or were you a geography grad? I I was actually a a sort of um, geographer first and foremost who became interested in how we live with different types of technology. I did a short stint working at Google and became quite interested in questions around surveillance. So I've always had this kind of interest, I guess, in digital geographies and uh, and living with different types of camera-enabled devices and equipment. And I ended up taking on a PhD at the University of Exeter where I looked at drone innovation um, in the context of the way that we fight wars and the way that we live in urban centres. This involved field work with military drone pilots and sensor operators from the US Air Force and from the Royal Air Force as well, so the UK and the US, and some field work with some UK police officers who were at the time launching the first drone units in the UK as well. So I was interested in sort of the politics of the way that drones see and, and target different communities. And I've sent sort of expanded that work out to to focus 
particularly urban drone innovation um, more broadly. I am also a qualified drone operator. Um, I was a hobbyist, but became, I guess, interested in what the process would be to become qualified. I, I sort of wanted to see how and what skills were professionalized when you took on those qualifications in the UK. That was a great experience. So yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, drones in lots of different ways. I find them very fascinating objects. And you share that passion with David, who's also a drone pilot. Um, David, what are the different categories of drone by size and by grouping? And what do you pilot? That's quite a complicated question. I know it shouldn't be really, but they can be classified really according to use type or probably more commonly, we might classify them according to weight and how they may operate. So let's think of drones as unmanned aerial vehicles. So they're sometimes called UAVs. And some of them are fully autonomous. So those would be the sort of the military ones, although I know nothing about military drones, I have to say. Or some are partly autonomous or have no autonomy at all. And those are ones really the ones we might classify as being for either um, commercial use or for use for people who are, are kind of hobbyists or something like that. Now, when we look at that, that sort of latter category, the, perhaps the commercial drones, um, they may range in size from things that can be used for precision agriculture and crop spraying. Um, you can check out some pretty extreme videos of these on things like TikTok, for instance, or YouTube. They may have payloads which are up to 50 kilograms or so, something like that. But I'm really most interested in the smaller types of commercial drones or those drones which are particularly relevant to hobbyists, which fall in the UK into the sub 25 kilogram category. I think if the people listening to this podcast, you would probably, if you, if you know someone with a drone, they're likely to have something which is quite a small drone. Um, perhaps less than one kilogram with a camera mounted on the front of it. And we, we can classify some of these into um, what's called the A1 category, I think, which are those which are sort of sub 250 grams. And you can fly those almost anywhere within the UK once you've registered with the CAA. All those which go up to um, about one kilogram and then a little bit um, bigger than that. So as a commercial company, we have a, I don't know whether you call it a quiver of drones, I'm not sure, but we have we have different types of drones that range from really small ones that we find dense urban areas up to a commercial drone that we've got, which is about eight or nine kilograms, which will carry a couple of kilograms payload. And that's obviously quite an expensive drone, but it can capture really high quality photos. To both of you, what work are you doing at the moment? My current project is called Diversifying Drone Stories, and this is funded by the Economic and Social Research Council and explores the use, perception and impact of drones in changing airspace. These are, of course, quite big issues and questions, but it's been a really fascinating um, project and has involved engaging with diverse stakeholders. So this includes emergency services, lawyers, the drone industry, uh, manned aircraft pilots, air traffic controllers, local authorities, as well as members of the public, in order to, to understand different uses, experiences and perspectives on how drones may be shaping or reshaping UK airspace and everyday life. And this project's interested in hearing and communicating different stories about applications of and impacts of drones. And as you very kindly mentioned um, in the opening, I've also developed an additional strand of the research in collaboration with the RGS. 
And this part of the project is called Everyday Drone Stories and is interested in how children and young people understand and view drones and their thoughts on how we might live with these technologies both presently and in the future. David. I come from quite, I guess, a sort of a different background to a normal drone pilot. So a long time ago, I worked for a company that delivered field work nationally. And then I trained to be a geography teacher and had an interest in GIS and technology and then thought that I could hopefully, and this was pre-pandemic, kind of make a little bit of a career change out of uh, just being a geographer who was who was doing sort of examining and book writing into something where I thought drones may be an interesting career change so we are at the moment trying to uh, grow our business and move our business uh, into spaces where we can capture digital models which is very very exciting and that's where the perhaps the future of the drone technology lies in that ability to not just take photos, but to be able to build quantitative models. And I think that there are lots of other organizations out there who um, are doing similar sorts of things. And that makes that space quite exciting for young people, I think, because, again, the technology in the future will allow virtual cities and things like that to be made and based on a combination of data which may come from satellites but also data which is on the ground as well which is captured from from um, from drones and things like that so that that's important I think the other thing I want to mention is that we're very much as a business we're trying to be I think sort of understand about sustainability and carbon reduction so the technology of being able to use drones remotely means that when you work with certain groups of people or stakeholders or in certain areas, it means that they can visualize their properties or their assets, but they don't actually have to physically visit them to see them because this remote technology, which is afforded by drones, allows them to see the asset in a kind of digital twin, but without having to uh, to bother with the travel. And that's a, that's, I think that's a really good thing. What are the potential implications of commercial drones on urban skylines? And lives. This is a, a really great question, and I've got a bit of a longer answer here, um, which I hope is okay. So when we think about commercial drones, um, these can refer to both private and public organisations that use drones and drone services for a range of applications. And these might include survey and inspections. So you might be using drones to uh, inspect roads and railway networks, survey construction sites or power lines the delivery of goods, and this might be parcels or even takeaways uh, or medical items like drugs or organs, to surveillance and security provision over sort of sensitive um, sites. Now, in terms of the sort of potential implications of commercial drones, they're associated with a range of benefits as well as um, challenges. And I'd like to, to say a little bit more about both of those things. So commercial drones are praised as quite accessible, affordable technologies, which can reduce risk to staff. So they um, avoid workers um, at height and enable access to dangerous areas that might be difficult to access on foot or dangerous to access on foot. They're associated with cost saving in a number of sectors, so they can collect aerial data over relatively large areas and they can do this potentially more quickly than people on the ground. And they can also increase access and connection. So if you consider the delivery of postal items to remote communities that may otherwise uh, remain underserved. And lastly, they're associated with a range of potential environmental benefits. So this might be reduced emissions. 
Uh, and this kind of collectively is why in 2022, the UK government issued a vision that by 2030, commercial drones will be commonplace in the UK in a way that safely benefits the economy and uh, wider society. So we see this quite interesting kind of push by the government um, to make commercial drones more commonplace in UK skies. Um, But it's important um, to think about other potential implications for urban lives and skies. And these range from privacy, safety and security to visual and noise pollution as well. So the growing use and presence of drones can cause concerns, for example, about safety, which is why the UK's airspace regulator, the Civil Aviation Authority, has regulation in place controlling drone use and is also doing work around what they call airspace modernisation, which includes how commercial and other drones can be safely integrated into UK skies in the future. Now, there's also a a range of other concerns around privacy and security. Um, So when more drones are present in our skies, we need to be clear on what kinds of data they may be capturing, whether that's image, sensor or wider forms of data about us, our homes or our environments, and how existing laws such as data protection or GDPR sort of fit with these forms of data capture. There are also implications for visual and noise pollution. So thinking about how our skies might change as drone use grows and the skies become busier in the future, we need to consider how this might change the appearance of our cities. You know, what does it mean to look up? Uh, And what does this mean for noise in our environments too? What will future cities, for example, sound like? How might these technologies impact desires for or experiences of quiet space? And lastly, I just wanted to um, raise that we often focus on what drones might mean for humans, but drones, of course, also impact non-humans such as wildlife as well. So there's research that demonstrates that drones can disturb wildlife, they can impact animal behaviour and even prompt anti-predatory responses. And this might be visible responses like aggression or fleeing, or these might be invisible responses like an elevated heart rate. So while many different kinds of animals are impacted by drones, um, birds as well as animals with high hearing capabilities like elephants and nesting animals are particularly impacted. So there's lots of different types of implications to consider. And I think the, the, the key message is do that work, do those considerations and consider both humans and wildlife as well. And what problems might drones pose to us? This is also a really interesting question. My gut feeling is that the risks from uh, from drones in terms of, let's say, direct harm. So that would be, I don't know, an, an airframe crash, so a collision with a, a, another aircraft who's flying in the air, same airspace or, or a crash involving uh, people or wildlife. I think that that is very, very low indeed, at least in the UK. Um, I did some digging around of information from the CAA or the Civil Aviation Authority And the number of reported incidents are round about one in one million flights. So that's a very, very low number in terms of risk. So probably, I think, perception of risk is very disproportionate to actual risk, especially when you consider risk against things like, you know, in our business, we're trying to replace people climbing up ladders. That, that kind of risk far outweighs um, by orders of magnitudes anything w- which would be associated with a drone, I think. But there are some challenges associated with that problem and perception of risk. Certainly, I think general members of the public are quite unsure or even 
uneasy in some respects about drone technology. It sort of fits into a wider narrative about state surveillance, visual intrusion, AI, uneasy with different actors controlling data. And I think that there's perhaps, in some instances, a a feeling of mistrust links to technology or even um, potential harassment from other members of the community. So I, I think as as a drone community, and I'm, I'm sure Anna's well connected with this and well understanding of this, we need to do a lot to make sure that our our narrative is well understood about what drones are useful for, what the risks they present, what the problems are, and to give people some some factual information rather than perceived information about risk. And we don't want to come across as too negative, of course, as we're here to talk about and celebrate drones. So for any A-level geographer out there, how might they utilise drone technology in their NEA investigation? I'd like to focus on kind of two areas that I think both teachers and students can and can kind of use and engage with drones. So the first is perhaps the most obvious, which is to use drones to gather data and to actually conduct research. So that is, you know, to support a student project um, or to to teach students to to do drone research. And the second is to uh, think about drone geographies themselves. So that is to engage with the drone as a kind of case study example of how we could live with emerging technology and the kinds of critical questions that this raises. So um, drones enable us as geographers or as geography students to collect high quality geospatial data across different spatial contexts using both cameras and sensors. And this depends on what you might be able to um, equip your drone with or, or what your drone comes with. Drones are really relevant across both human and physical geography projects. So you might be capturing data on wetlands, even glaciers, or you might be rendering visible conservation habitats or the spatial inequalities of urban housing. Drones enable us to better understand our environments and to act or enable action in these environments as well. So they're really well suited for um, as a sort of field work or um, tool in these sorts of projects. I would add that just with um, just as with any remote sensing tool or method, data collection method more broadly, drones are a tool that we need to consider how, why and when we use them. So we need to think carefully and ask ourselves careful questions about is this project context, this fieldwork site, an appropriate place, a legal place to use a drone. So recognizing the regulation, but also the ethical questions about whether somewhere is appropriate to fly a drone. You know, who do we need to communicate with if we're going to launch our drone somewhere? This isn't just about regulation and adhering to that. This is also about other stakeholders that might, you know, have um, interests in that might live in the area or near the area of your flight. And also just thinking about cultural sensitivities. So if you were flying near, you know, a church or a religious site, it's really important to think about kind of cultural sensitivities when you fly. I'd also recommend students and teachers who might be using drones to think about their own positions. So to think about who they are using their drone, how they might be perceived, and also recognising more broadly that droning itself remains a very male-dominated field. So there's an opportunity to for us to kind of reflect inwardly um, when we're flying. Um, And just to say a little bit more about that sort of second aspect of how I think students and, and teachers could use drones and why they're sort of valuable tools Drones are very popular and prevalent. They're, you know, in the news a lot at the moment. They're in the policy landscape in the UK at the moment. 
And we can also then either use drones as a teachable example in the classroom or discuss these as a potential focus for a project because they encourage us to think about living with and life with emerging technologies more broadly. And these are really important sort of concerns for geographers. It's they impact, these technologies impact how we understand space, how we live our everyday lives. And these are, of course, central sort of themes in, in academic geography. And this is because our views on our responses to drones really vary. Some people are really excited and curious about drones. Other people find them quite fearful and they might be quite anxious, for example, about privacy. So drones are really interesting in part because they prompt a lot of different reactions, but also because they involve a lot of different stakeholders. This might be national or local government. Uh, this might be industry. This might be civil actors and citizens. And they prompt these really interesting social, political and ethical kind of questions and views around all these issues like privacy, security and noise. So I think these sorts of technologies are just really ripe for use in the classroom, whether that's you know, by educators or as projects uh, for students as well. David, we've heard of a whole range of uses for A-level geographers and the NEA investigation. Could you offer a few ideas on how teachers could use drones? Well, I think there's there's lots of exciting things you could do with it. So perhaps you might want to document processes and change over time. Perhaps, a, let's say, an aerial view of a V of a beach or, or something like that summer versus winter i mean over a shorter period of time you could capture and this again is from a safe distance you could capture changes in footfall of an area how many people are using certain spaces and again video recording would allow you to do that without you having to physically go on the ground and sort of with a clipboard and count people i mean it's worth mentioning that at no time are you allowed or should you ever consider flying over over big crowds another advantage of the drones i think is that you can view landscapes from above, which gives you a different perspective on on perhaps patterns or features and processes that you can't just see when you're on the ground. Um, I, I have a good example of this um, on a on a relatively recent trip to a, a beach in North Cornwall. Um, I took a drone out early in the morning and, and took some photographs of the beach, and I was able to see beach cusps really clearly in the shingle on the on the pebble beach, which when I was stood on the beach itself, I couldn't really identify, so I could see the shape and the form of them. So it's great for that. I mean, I think that if you're prepared to sort of push a little bit of knowledge and understanding into drones, you can move away from just using them as a qualitative recording tool into something you can get quantitative data from. And I know there are some students who are using photogrammetry, which is the process where you convert overlapping photographs into a essentially into a kind of scaled model of an area. And that's what we use with our commercial business to produce 2D and 3D models of physical landscapes, for instance, a sand dune or river valley. Anna, you've talked about your research. What do you want to achieve from the resources you've launched on our website? In a nutshell, the collaboration has involved developing resources and activities for schools and in particular pupils at key stage three and five with the aim of enabling learning and discussions around drones in the classroom. So we first developed some introductory resources that allow students to get a little bit more familiar with drones, learn a bit more about what they are, what they can do and how they're used and also apply this knowledge through some case studies examples as well. And we also provided some information about how drones are regulated in the UK. So what the rules are and thinking through where it might be safe to fly and what we should consider when we're flying also. 
Second, we were also really eager to develop some more creative activities as well. So this has included an exercise where pupils develop a map of a chosen location familiar to them. This might be their route to school or their home or garden. And they mark out where and how they think drones might be currently used, as well as where and how they think drones might be used in the future or how they might like to see them used. And we also developed a more scenario-based activity, which allows pupils to focus on some applications, both current and future-oriented, and reflect on the sort of potential benefits and risks associated with these, so to, to sharpen their critical thinking skills about these technologies as well. Where the appropriate sort of permissions and consents are are obtained. We're inviting schools across the UK to share pupils' responses to these activities in order to deepen our understandings of children and young people's views on drones and drone futures. And I think really making space for their views and agencies is so important, um, in part because the project really recognises that existing research and public engagement focuses very exclusively on how adults understand, feel and respond to drones. So we're really interested in widening our understandings and and learning from how younger people and children think about drones too. And um, you can find all the uh, relevant resources on the Everyday Drone Stories project page. And I, I really welcome anyone who's interested to ask any questions questions and and to engage and participate. Finally, David, what's next for your drone company? And Anna, where will the drone age take us? These are really big questions and I don't I don't have a crystal ball, but it feels to me like the the future for us as a drone company will be very much I suppose down to two factors. One is the regulatory framework and the second one is technology. So where will the technology go? So the trend for technology is for it to become smaller, lighter and safer. And probably there will be more choice of drone manufacturing companies out there as well. So I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast will will know that the really the global leader in drone manufacturing is DJI, which is a Chinese brand. And there are some, in some quarters, some concerns and criticisms around safety and data security or safety of data security. And that's leading some organizations, particularly in the States, so emergency services and things which are kind of critical infrastructure providers to move away from Chinese-based drones before fear of mistrust. Whether that's founded or not, I don't know, but they are. And they're looking towards American-made drones. In the UK, we don't have such a choice because the American-made drones are not really commercially available. But if we were to, for instance, land a contract where we were going to work on an airport, the airport operator may quite rightly want to know who holds our data. When you capture photographs or you do a flight plan, where's that data going? So I think that that's a really interesting question around provenance of technology. But as I said before, DJI are the market leader and, and they are, you know, they produce some very high quality sensors, which, which mean that we, you know, we can capture data effectively. The other part of that answer, of course, is the, the part down to the regulator. And there's a lot of change at the moment, and Anna will know much more about this than I do, um, but there's a lot of change out there and a lot of consultation and discussion about how we maintain safe skies for people. 
and particularly around conversations around drone delivery and VLOS, that's flying beyond visual lines of sights and things like drone copters and all of these things that the CAA in the future see as operating in the skies along with traditional forms of transport like you know aircraft and helicopters and things like that. We need to wait and see what the CAA puts in place for regulating that. And you, Anna? I think the first thing to say is that ultimately it depends on who you ask as there are a lot of different ideas, aims and desires for the future of drones in and beyond UK skies. For some people, the drone age will take us to drones being commonplace in UK skies, integrated alongside manned aircraft and helicopters, planes. We see some developments um, kind of underway in this area through the Civil Aviation Authority's airspace modernisation strategy. And in this vein, some in industry have already expressed goals for drone highways in the sky. And we can we can look at Project Skyway here, which is a project underway to connect 165 miles of airspace above six UK towns and cities and to unlock the drone industry by doing so. But for others, it's going to be very different. You know, some are much more civil focus. So this might be extending drone use by emergency services such as police, fire and rescue, um, search and rescue as a priority. And these emergency service actors already use drones for lots of different applications. This includes missing persons, assessing the hottest points of fires, documenting crime scenes, But they also want to develop drone capabilities further, and this might be flying beyond visual line of sight, so where their operators can see. This might be live streaming drone footage with mapping overlays or carrying medical equipment or flotation devices to assist with water rescue. And others still might want to pause and actually say we need to, you know, consider further the views of communities and citizens with whom drones share their airspace and their space. So learning more about what they might want to prioritise, what they might want drones to do or equally not to do, how they want to kind of live with these technologies. And very lastly, I promise, I think it's also important to stress that the drone age isn't singular. So drones are accessible, affordable tools and can be used by all kinds of users and for all kinds of applications. And this might be hobbyist flyers, flying drones recreationally, um, to researchers exploring the impacts of the climate crisis, or activists or community-led drone users seeking to empower citizens in their environments, or even citizens using drones to commit crimes. There are lots of different directions, um, positive, negative and ambiguous, um, that the drone might take us in in the future. And I think we can think really carefully and critically about these developments and, and also participate in them as drone flyers too. Fascinating. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Anna, David, it's been great. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.